I think it's very tempting as an entrepreneur to think a lot about like industries and like what are competitors doing and like what are ideas that you have. Most of the time it doesn't matter. You know, I've been doing startups for whatever, 16 years, 15 years. And like, there's always some boogeyman competitor that's like, is always like, oh my God, like they're going to kill us kind of thing. But yeah, normally it doesn't matter, right? Like I think the main thing is actually to focus on customers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast, where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. My guest today is Imar Akun, CEO and founder of Mercury, a US-based neobank built for the next generation of startups. Founded almost five years ago, Mercury now enjoys unicorn status and has raised equity from great investors, including CRV, CO2, A16Z, and Clock Tower. In this episode, we discuss why he's short-term pessimistic and how startups should prepare for winter and some tough times ahead. Founders, focus on your customers and stop wasting time thinking about your competitors. The power of cold outreach and how entrepreneurs should perfect and embrace networking, company formation, and some interesting startup trends he's seeing from Mercury's clients, and just a lot more. Hope you enjoy this awesome conversation with Imad from Mercury. All right, well, Imad, thank you for joining. Um, welcome to the FinTech Leader Podcast for a second time. I think you're the first repeat guest uh, over the last almost year. And, and you know, it's, it's great to talk because now you're in a comfortable location. Last time we were sitting on the floor in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. It was very How's short. Going, man? So hopefully we can make it, make it longer and go deeper. I'm excited to chat again though. Could not agree more. Uh, longer conversations are always better. So, I mean, we we're talking um like i said a, a, almost a year since we last chatted i've started to see mercury pop up more and more in business accounts that that i deal with that i cross paths with you have experienced tremendous growth over the last year maybe let, let's just start there tell, tell us about you know some of the latest developments and what's been uh for you the the biggest highlight of this year yeah, I think, you know, I'm a I'm an entrepreneur at heart, so I love product and I love doing new things. Uh, and this year has been really fun because uh, last year we kind of set a bunch of things in motion, but especially like in fintech and especially with the scale we have, it takes it takes a while to like start something and actually like <laughs> have the product launched and things like that. So this year has been fun. We've launched a bunch of things like we, in March, we launched Venture Debt, which is our first kind of direct lending product. Uh, so now, yeah, I guess, I don't know if we set up enough background here, but previously we mostly focused on giving you a bank account, uh, mostly focused on businesses and startups in the US. As of March, we're now doing our first lending product. So we give venture debt to people. Uh, and then just this week, actually, on Monday, we launched Mercury uh, IO credit card, which is our first kind of charge card, still focused on kind of startups. But, you know, previous to this, we didn't give people a corporate credit card. So we'd give you a bank account, but eventually... 
you know, when you scaled a little bit and you wanted to get a credit card, you'd go to uh, some other company, but now you can do it all through Mercury. So that's been really fun this year, you know, just launching products. And I mean, there's still a ton to do on those products. And like, we have some other stuff happening. Obviously, I think a year ago, uh, the markets were like pretty much exuberant, uh, like money 2020 is where we had our last conversation. I think everyone was just like, you know, this like never ending kind of bull market <laughs> kind of feeling. Uh, I think we've kind of since then somewhat come like crashing back down to earth, especially in fintech, as I think fintech's probably like rode the biggest highs in 2021 and is probably riding the biggest lows right now. Thankfully, we're in a really good place to handle it, but it's definitely been, you know, we serve startups, so like we are, we are affected and our customers are affected. So it's, yeah, since I guess April, it's, you know, it's played a lot of time and mindshare for us. You, you have a wide range of, of clients, right? Um, and I imagine, you know, now there's this talk of, we can't avoid a recession, you know, like it, it's coming. Uh, small businesses are not in in great shape as they were last year. Are you seeing any changes on the data from your clients? How, how are you feeling, uh, you know, macro wise? I guess there's two aspects of it. Number one, you know, we are focused on startups and especially this summer. I think it's probably been the worst time in VC fundraising raising since maybe 2008 or nine. Like, it's just been very slow. So, you know, we've definitely seen that in our numbers. Like, startups are basically haven't really risen much money since June. Seeing a little bit of a pickup in September, but still early to see, you know, whether there'll be a significant post-summer pickup. That's one aspect. I think the second thing that's kind of interesting is normally recessions and uncertainty leads to uh, actually a lot of business formation. Like, people lose their jobs or, you know, then they're like, okay, you know, I'm going to start something. I don't know if that's going to happen this time around because uh, 2020, when like COVID hit and and a bit of 2021, there was a massive business formation. So I don't know, I don't have the stats off offhand, but you know, back then it was like we saw, and I think on the macro side there was like a lot of businesses that got formed. I feel like that pent up like you know business <laughs> formation uh, demand is like done. So I don't know whether this recession will lead to more businesses forming. I think. At least in our data, again, I would say since March, there's also been a slowdown in business formation. Uh, you should really go check like what the formal stats are online. Uh, but that's uh, yeah. My feeling is that there will be both a slowdown of funding and a slowdown in like the number of people willing to do startups in this uh, in this uh, you know period. Uh, but the, at the end of the day, you know entrepreneurship is always going to happen like yeah there's always new ideas there's always new trends i think we're still early when it comes to kind of technology and digitization of like all the industries so i don't think it's like the macro is fine right like it's just what happens in the next six to 12 months is like the thing to think about which yeah which is important like lots of companies can live or die in the next six to 12 months right like it's yeah as a as an smb or a startup you don't always have like time as a luxury have you seen specific sectors or, or industries get, you know, bright red and, and, and hotter this year? You're seeing more and more activity from areas that maybe weren't as hot last year or in the past? Yeah. I mean, one thing that was interesting is, uh, you know, Mercury has a lot of crypto companies. Uh, 
about 22% of our deposits are in with crypto startups. And we actually saw crypto be like over the summer, you know, VCs were kind of whatever on their beaches, uh, but crypto investors were still pretty active. Uh, and I think that's like, I think crypto industry in general is more used to these kind of like crypto winters and like these cycles in a way that like, you know, like the most of the startup funding ecosystem has been on a bull run. Uh, for 15 years, which is not definitely not true for crypto. So I think there will definitely be a slowdown in crypto, but even yeah, even in this downturn, I actually think crypto will will do better as like both starting companies and um, and having investors there. I think there's a general yeah, 2021, 2020 like was risk on right like it didn't matter what the risk was, people were willing to take it. So yeah, just before. Uh, we started recording, we were talking about space technology, right? I think like the number of like hard tech, climate, space, etc. Yeah, I mean, I was also, I'm also invested in space tech. I love space tech, but like a lot of the time you hear a pitch and I'm like, hey, when will you make money? And these guys are like, yeah, it'll take us about six years and we need to raise a hundred million dollars. And then after we do that, we're going to make money, <laughs> which, yeah, I'm like, I get it. Like space is hard. But that I think those types of things are going to have a much, much harder time uh, now. Like people want to go to safety. Yeah. If it's B2B SaaS, like that sounds great to investors. They're like high margin. We know how this works. We can put some money in. It'll, it'll generate revenue. That's very easy. And this affects fintech as well. There's some fintech companies. You know, fintech is like a pretty broad bucket. Uh, but there's definitely some fintech that are like, B2B SaaS, right? Like there's fintech SaaS, uh, a lot of fintech infrastructure stuff you know, that can target whether it's banks or other fintechs or or even non-fintech companies. You know, there's a lot of those things. I think those things will be very healthy and I, I think there's a lot of investor appetite for it. There's other things in fintech that are like very capital heavy that require like a lot of lending type things that require like a lot of investments where the unit economics are not great until there's some scale. I think those things are struggling and will struggle. And there's, I would also say a general, there was an appetite last year uh, and everyone had this of like believing in the most optimistic future, which is like, hey, I'm going to get a consumer, neobank customer. I'm going to make more, no money on this. But at some point in the future, I'll have these other five revenue streams like lending and mortgages and all this stuff. And that's, that's when I'll make money in like five years time. Uh, like people are not willing to believe in like a very rosy future right now. Like they want to see how you make money today and how you have like good economics today. So, so I think a lot of these things are going to affect fintech uh, in a disproportionate way. Iman, I, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and, and talk about how do you keep your ear on the ground in your market? And what I mean by that is you have incumbents who are competitors but also you have uh, other startups, you know, who are your peers slash competitors. And, and I'll confess, I've probably interviewed all of them <laughs> and, and they all think about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, they all think about it slightly differently. So just I wanted to kind of get, get that from you. Uh, first of all, how, how do you think about competition? And then how are you kind of keeping a, a pulse of what's going on in, in your segment to obviously execute well yeah i think the most important thing is actually not to think i think it's very tempting as an entrepreneur to think a lot about like 
industries and like what are competitors doing and like what are ideas that you have most of the time it doesn't matter you know i've been doing startups for whatever 16 years 15 years and like there's always some boogeyman competitor that like is always like oh my god like they're gonna kill us kind of thing but yeah normally it doesn't matter right like i think the main thing is actually to focus on customers like uh, like what what do our customers want what are, what is making them unhappy you know how do we find new customers and like what are their complaints and why aren't they choosing yeah if you just spend all your time focused on customers yeah customers are not talking about competitors right they're saying like this is not working or like we really need this like that's what they're talking about and that's what matters uh if you just did that like maniacally for like 10 years you will win <laughs> i don't think uh, if yeah if it, if it is even like a zero-sum game I think the reality in fintech and a lot of markets, but especially in fintech, is like these markets are freaking huge, right? Like there's probably like two trillion dollars of revenue in like banking slash finance in the US. Like it's just so ridiculously big that if you just do something great for customers, it sounds a little like kind of like wishy-washy. But I think that is the reality. If you do something great for customers, there's enough of a market there that you will like build a big company and like do something successful and useful for the world. Uh that's my main focus. You know, I don't, I don't really think that much about incumbents or other startups and things like that. It makes sense. And, and, and so, obviously, your customers having asking you for certain products, you, you mentioned two that you have launched, most recently uh, your credit card. But it uh, sounds like you were working on this for a long time. Uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, your MVP has to be top notch. You uh, you know you can't launch a credit card and, and have it not work. But also, it sounds like you're thinking far ahead. Today, how far ahead are you thinking for Mercury? Like, how far are you thinking? Okay, down the line, we have we want to have this number of products, uh, and it's gonna take X number of years. I think it's. It's important to like, I really like putting in like pieces in place that gives us like optionality in the future. So, for example, in you know, March, we launched Venture Debt. But along with launching Venture Debt, we started working on an underwriting engine, which, you know, it's very nascent, I will, I will admit. But like, yeah, you know, the idea is like both with Venture Debt and credit card and future lending products, like we can have like this underwriting engine that like, you know, collects all the right information, can make an assessment on a business, can decide, like, is this worthy? And then can monitor it into the future to, like, continuously, like, you know, decide that, like, hey, you know, maybe a business was, like, worth lending to at some point, but now is, like, you know, in the red and, like, we have to be, like, a little more careful. So that's just one example. So I really, like, I'm a big fan of, like, not necessarily, like, planning everything out in the future. You know, I don't, Especially when we launched Venture Debt, I wasn't like, this is the next lending product and this is when we're going to launch it. Like, I think getting too stuck in the details is not, uh, you kind of have to be adaptive and like listen to the market and like decide what to do next. Uh, but I do, I am a big fan of just thinking broad picture, like what are the pieces that will unlock other pieces? And those things are always interesting. Like even uh, like take the credit card about maybe even a year ago, we launched uh this feature so we've had debit cards from like day zero but we launched a feature that was like debit card only users so we made it so on your bank account you could have 10 employees or whatever that you could issue debit cards to uh, but they didn't access the rest of the bank account and that was really putting in like some of the building groundworks for the credit card launch because obviously most people actually don't expect a bank to have a debit card only feature 
right? Like a debit card only login. But you know, if when it comes to credit card and especially business credit cards, you would all, you would definitely expect that feature. Um, so anyway, I, that's like like I'm not a genius or anything, but that's how I, I try to think about like our development. Like yeah, you know, I have a very unbounded ambition for like ten years from now, but I think like knowing the exact plan to get to the that is tricky. I think it's better to just like kind of build these kind of pillars that like then can like build into something greater later on. I'm curious now that you you've launched a couple, not just one, a couple of credit products internally, investors, board, team. Did you get pushback uh, to you know go for a credit product in uh, an inflationary environment? Because, uh, you know, obviously it, it gets a little bit more challenging. You know, I think businesses always need cash flow, right? So, and then, I mean, I guess there's some environment where it's 20% interest and like no business can get any lending at all or something like that. But, you know, whether it's most of the time for a business, it's like, hey, I need to build these, get these orders out or like I have this like, you know, they're not, most businesses are not dealing with things where like, five percent like the difference between like five percent interest or seven percent interest means that they're not gonna like go get a loan there's definitely like some things like that so yeah it'll be interesting to look at the stats over history to see like at different interest rates levels like how much business like uh, lending activity was happening my guess is like there is sensitivity to it but it's not like extreme like i think businesses always need money to like fulfill things and as long as you can like do a reasonable job of like having yeah, reasonable cost of capital and like reasonable underwriting, you can do a, a good job there. So yeah, again, I see most of this as like a long term thing, right? Like at a actually, like it's actually both with the credit card and the lending thing. It might not be like a massive revenue driver in the next twelve months, just because yeah, you know, these things are new and it takes a while to kind of ramp them up. Um, so it's mostly you know, in, I'm like thinking twenty twenty four, twenty five. Like, how is this going to be impactful and like. In that kind of scenario, who knows what the interest rates will be? Yeah, yeah. I was just uh, interviewing a couple of weeks ago Nelson Chu from Percent, and they they focus on the private credit markets. And you know, we we're just talking about you know rates are just yeah, but businesses still need to go to market, and and you know, there's always going to be a price um, for both sides of the market actually. And and how about just in general, a, a macro point of view. Uh, we were just talking that inflation, of course, is a is a plays a huge influence in our industry in the fintech space, yeah. and it's definitely been one of the drivers for the fall in in, in share prices for for the public companies and, and the private ones. Um, what's your take on on inflation, and how should people be preparing? You know, I'm fairly short term pessimistic. Uh, I think people have a lot of like wishful thinking, but yeah, winter's coming. I think energy prices are going to spike a lot, uh, both because of the European war and also because uh, Biden's uh, did a massive kind of release of the strategic oil reserve, which is supposed to run out in October, I believe. Um, it was a six month release and that's been kind of keeping energy prices in check. So and if you think about it, there's yeah, energy and labor are the two biggest drivers for everything, right? Like those are the costs for most industry and services. Um, 
And yeah, labor shortage is not going away uh, at all, uh, in my opinion. Like there's a massive shortfall of labor, uh, partly because the U.S. especially has not been open to immigration very much since 2016, uh, and especially since COVID. So between yeah, labor shortage and energy prices spiking, I think we're going to see inflation not flatten out. Like I think it will be continuing. Uh, the other issue with inflation, I think people don't seem to internalize is inflation is kind of like a mass hysteria type thing. Like once inflation kicks off and it's it can switch from like these are the things driving inflation to like everyone expects inflation so they keep increasing prices and uh, it becomes like a kind of a, like a social construct more than just a uh, like drive driven by external forces construct. And there's a, there's a risk like we will end up in that kind of situation as well. Yeah, this is not something new. Like inflation is a thing that happens and like it always happens like that. It's like it starts off because of some things and then it becomes like a thing. And then like that's why interest rates have to go so high to like try to counteract people's like kind of notions about the future. Uh, so anyway, I think I think people are having some wishful thoughts that like, oh, inflation speak, blah, blah, blah. I think for the next six months, it's going to be particularly bad and then potentially will become like a systemic thing. And the only way to counteract that, and the you know, the Fed has no choice but to increase interest rates in that kind of scenario. So anyway, short term, I'm not like super optimistic. I don't think, uh, I think because of all of that, I think the public markets are going to be hit. That's going to decrease private market investments and things like that. But I do think it will work itself out after 12-ish months. And I think like what we mostly need is stability. I think as a, as a founder, as VCs, as an investor, whatever, it's just very hard to not know what's going to be on the horizon in three months time if you look like all this year interest rates expectations have like creeped up like the prediction markets have been like oh we're gonna like peak out at three percent and then it was 3.5 and now it's four now it's 4.5 so like there's just this uncertainty because like we don't know what's going to happen and that is the biggest issue i think in even if interest rates were high, but at least they were like steady. I think we could end up in a certainty kind of situation. And, and then you can plan according to that. And I think, you know, if people are like, okay, interest rates are going to be 4%, like that's not actually that high. Like historically, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's just the unknown of like whether there'll be 6% or not is what's actually like the trickier part of uh, both from like an investor perspective and from an entrepreneur perspective. It's hard to plan for the future when you just don't know what the future is. Uh, so I think, I think the benefit is not necessarily there'll be zero in 12 years, 12 months but that like it will be well better understood what the future holds hopefully uh so i think that's yeah as an entrepreneur i'm like very optimistic but i i think it's also like always worth planning for the worst <laughs> if you know what i mean uh so like I, you know i i think i try to like stop myself having wishful thinking about the macro or like wishful thinking about mercury you know it's very easy to go like, oh, we're just going to launch this thing. It's going to be explosive. And like, you know, we can like plan according to that. Like, yeah, I, I try to prepare for like the downside uh, as well as the upside. So I think people should like not get too optimistic about the short term, at least. Yeah. And, and it's interesting as, a, as an entrepreneur, uh, as a VC, you have to keep one eye on the long term. Yeah. Right. And say like, oh, it doesn't matter what happens now. I'm playing for 10 years, but another eye on the sh or short term because it, it does impact 
uh, you know, the today definitely impacts how you get to the 10 year mark. Yeah, that is the tricky part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit, you have, um, I, I love you, your Twitter lessons. You, you put out some, some great content. And one of the things you've talked about before is mastering cold outreaching. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you're saying that and that's your advice for entrepreneurs uh, tells me that you have had some successes with cold outreach. May maybe give us a, a few examples. Uh, so for the seed round for Mercury, we closed a, uh, a seed round from Andreessen Horowitz. Um, and this wasn't a completely, completely cold outreach, but basically... You know, I knew a few other people at Andreessen Horowitz, but there was, yeah, at the time, uh, they only had one fintech-focused GP. His name is Alex Rampel, great guy. And I just called emailed him, and I was like, I was like, hey, I could probably get an introduction to you, but this is what I'm doing. I'd love to connect, and and he responded, and yeah, that that and, and, and at all, it was I was not expecting like raising money from that start of that conversation. I just wanted to. Uh, talk to Alex just because he's he's smart and he knows a lot about the space. So yeah, that's probably my most successful cold outreach. But yeah, at every business or anything I've done, there's always there's always an element of sales. Uh, and I think yeah, I don't. I think when doing sales, it's important to not get like too stuck on an individual person, but like think about it in terms of probabilities. So. I, like I'm like okay if I'm going to call outreach my response rate to call outreach will be like five percent if it's super cold maybe ten percent if like I, you know I have some connection or like I can customize it a lot to that person so if you do that maths you're like okay you know then if I want five responses I need to email whatever x number of people right like if I want five responses and I have ten percent response rate I need to email fifty people or Twitter DM fifty people something like that. So that's how I mostly think about these things. I think it's easy to get like emotionally attached to like, I need this one person to respond to me. But if you're much broader than that and you're like, okay, this is a probability game. I'm going to do this many people, this many response, blah, blah, blah. And uh, that's how I think about these things. Uh, and we have a sales team at Mercury as well that does call outreach to people. And uh, yeah, that's how it works out, right? Like that, like this is how many leads we have. This is what response rates we get. This is how many people end up making Mercury bank accounts. Uh, and that's like that's how you do sales, in my opinion, right? Like, it's like try to think about it as probabilities and try to optimize conversion rate within those probabilities. Yeah, I I've personally had some amazing successes uh, with cold outreaches, both on the VC front and also on the podcasting front. Some of my best guests, you know, I did not have anyone in common, and I just you know, give it a go and, and it worked. Um, and then another one, I was, I was traveling and I saw that there was an alum from my school who lived in that location. And I, I reached out, you know, to have an interesting conversation. And then that person has become one of my most important LPs in the fund, you know, a couple of years later. So yeah, completely wild. Uh, and sometimes you don't know what the cold outreach is going to yield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's not not just call outreach, but also being open to connections and like uh, you know, networking is, is is important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you you said that uh, entrepreneurs should prepare for the worst, um, and that all, 
you know, obviously implies having having runway in the bank, um, tightening, of course, a lot of screws within the company. Um, how about VCs um, in this environment? What, what what could investors be doing better? I mean, I think it's yeah. It's probably the best time to be an investor, right? Like I think people were all excited in 2021, but it wasn't a good time to be an investor, in my opinion. Like valuations were too high, it was hard to get into deals. So, you know, you had to work harder to get less in 2021. So I think VC should be feeling like loving it. Like you know, I mean, I've made some investments in like these great companies that are doing like a million dollars ARR, growing fast, and like it's a thirty million valuation. Like that would have been a hundred million valuation last year, and I'm like, this is great. So I think like from an investor perspective, this is the like the best time to be active. I think the investors that actually, you know, reacted to the market with like instead of like going okay, you know. Sure, you have to adjust your strategy. Like you, you can't necessarily rely on the next round and being having an up round. And uh, there's lots of things that like you should be adjusting. But like, I think it's a great time to be an investor. Like I, I'm still very active as a seed investor myself, uh, and I'm like kind of surprised some VCs like actually completely no active. I think the smart ones are using this opportunity to, you know, find good companies and get reasonable valuations and and yeah, whatever happens like good companies will be successful and there's lots of good companies out there uh, and they're you know, more in need for cash than before. Yeah, it's a, it's a time to lean in. Um, how about you internally, right? Um, how, how has has your style, your day-to-day, anything changed internally uh, for you? Have you kind of found yourself learning some, some lessons over the last, uh, call it nine months, uh, and and, and you, you haven't recent Horowitz as your as your investor and, and you know Ben Horowitz, you know, he, he wrote that article a while ago, the wartime CEO versus the peacetime CEO and you know arguably we're in wartime. I would say yeah, without sounding like too arrogant or something, but I, I've been doing startups for a long time, so I was never like quite swept away with like, oh my God, it's a bull market. Let's spend as much money as possible and grow as fast as possible without like caring about unit economics and and that kind of thing. And like, yeah, at times it was it was hard to be a little contrarian because you know we definitely have competitors that were like do willing to do things that didn't make sense. Uh, but we were always like a little bit more like, hey, let's just you know make sure every move we make like has got reasonable unit economics and we're not like wasting money and all that stuff. I mean, I've definitely like reacted to the market, right? Like I think in 2021, like, you know, you could spend like, it took us about three weeks to raise 120 million in April last year, right? So you could, if you had like reasonable company with like good numbers, it was very quick to get a round done, uh, which always gave you the option to go, okay, you know, maybe I don't need the money now, but I know I have that option. Uh, whereas as of, I would say, March this year, I don't, you know, maybe I could raise money and I think I could, but I'm not like going like, I know I could raise money. Uh, and that changes your like perspective. Like it's, you know, you really have to go, okay, you know, what are the, uh, like every step you make, you know, you have to think like, does this make sense? And yeah, you know, uh, if I can't raise money, like it changes your kind of optionality and how, how you make moves. So I think that has changed. You know, we've 
slowed down hiring a little bit, although we're still hiring. Uh, and we've probably thought a little bit about like every pricing, every cost decision a little bit more. And we've we've actually you know, improved our cost structure actually quite significantly with a couple of moves. So yeah, that's on one side. I don't, I don't think, I mean, for us, it's not quite a wartime situation just because we're in a very healthy place. Like we have very, very long runway. We have healthy revenue streams. We're still growing those. Uh, so I do like, you know, I've been in situations where I'm like, in six months, we're going to run out of money unless we do some crazy shit. <laughs> and that like has been like an extreme situation. And that's where you really, really have to switch on your wartime mode. I would say I'm like, yeah, if the if the wartime to be time there's a spectrum, I'm like, I'm, I've swift switched to like a medium kind of level. But yeah, I, I do think there's, there's some CEOs out there that I talk to and I'm investors and that should be in wartime and they're not in wartime mode and that's like dangerous. But even with saying all of that, like, you know, startups are all about momentum and growth. I think you can't be like too conservative. Like you do have to go, like, how do I grow 10%, 20% this month? Like you can't be like, I'm just going to save money because like then you <laughs> like, what's going to happen? Like you're just going to save money and then what? Uh, like you really do have to try to do it in a way where you're like very selective about the things you invest in, but are still like keeping that momentum growing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not necessarily a fan of, of companies trying to get, I don't know, four years of runway. And, you know, because at the end of the day, if in four years you haven't figured out, you know, then probably something's wrong, right? Like probably it's not, or, or like it's not a venture backable model, right? It's it's a different type of business. So anyway, no, good, good stuff. Before I let you go, let's talk about fintech because, uh, you know, that, the industry never stops. I always say there's not a slow news day in fintech. There's always something um, beyond Mercury. What, what gets you the most excited about the the days ahead of our industry? That's a great question. Um, I do think uh, embedded fintech is is interesting. I think it. Again, everything got like blown up in 2021 and every everyone was very excited about everything in fintech. But I think that was one where like I think it will continue to be exciting. Like there's a there's a lot of platforms, B2B and other places that have like a lot of customers and I think there's good smart ways of integrating fintech whether it's payments or I actually don't think like integrating bank accounts is as smart as it sounds, but like integrating wallets, integrating payments, integrating insurance, lending. I think there's a lot of interesting ideas there that are like very nascent. Uh, and I do think there will be like some big companies that get built there and like big revenue streams that get built there. Let's see what else is interesting in fintech. I mean, everything there's been this real big pullback in like neo banking. And I think it's been actually like a, especially consumer neobanking. I do think to some extent it got overfunding, overfunded for like things that just didn't have that many differentiators. Uh, like there was like, here's one more consumer neobank. Yes, that's boring. But I do think there's still interesting ideas there around like picking particular underserved segments or particular features or ideas that like are just not done without like kind of shilling my book too much. Like, you know, I'm an investor in this company called Sez, S-E-I-S, uh, that's doing like uh, neobanking for like 
Spanish-speaking Americans. Uh, that's a big space. So, yeah, I think there's a ton of like these kind of specific ideas that, when well executed, will make big businesses. I think fintech infrastructure is pretty interesting. I think you know, a lot of companies in that space have done well, but still, it kind of sucks. And I don't know as a, as a company that creates fintech products for for customers, a lot of the services we use on the under the hood are like pretty bad. Uh, I'm not going to go name names, but th they don't have like great APIs. They break. There's, it's just very hard to work with them. There's really long sales cycle, very expensive. There's like very little self-service under the hood. So, anyway, you know, we patch it all together and deliver a great service. But I would love for like some of those infrastructure pieces to like continue to improve. And it has improved, uh, but I still think there's a long way to go. Uh, yeah. So I think those are some things that I find interesting. Good stuff. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure it's going to keep evolving and I'm certainly betting on it. Uh, but uh, Imad, thank you for stopping by. And I'm, I'm glad this time we got a lot more time to chat and, and you know, maybe I'll, I'll see you in, in Vegas uh, next month. Yeah, maybe. Uh, thanks for having me, Miguel. Uh, if anyone needs a U.S. bank again, go to Mercury.com. <laughs> uh, and otherwise... Perfect. And how can they find you? Oh, I'm Imad on Twitter. I'm pretty, I'm pretty active. Feel free to kind of DM me, but no promises. <laughs> Great. Good stuff. Thank you, Imad. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode with Imad, founder of Mercury. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. And you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, please drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off, till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.